Well, are you a book reader or not? I guess it depends on how you define book reader. Uh, I think when I do this live, I'm going to ask people, have you read at least three books since last Christmas? If so, we'll say you qualify as a book reader. So are you a book reader? Uh, how about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, kind of the cool thing about that is, you know, I, I always still prefer reading books, whether, you know, electronically or with actual paper. Uh, but the thing is, you can't really read a book while you're driving or while you're working in the garage or while you're, you know, doing the dishes or whatever it is. And that's where podcasts are beautiful. The other thing that's beautiful about podcasts is, you know, if, if, if it's a dud, you just turn it off and move on to the next one. So one of my favorite podcasts is also an NPR program that's on once a week. It's called The Moth, and it's uh, people, uh, at least originally in clubs, uh, telling stories from their lives. And some of those stories are amazing, and some of them are duds. And if it's a dud, you just move on to the next one. But I was listening to a story from The Moth earlier this year, and it was told by a mom whose uh, son had died in the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. And uh, it was just a really moving and powerful podcast because she talked a bit about the events of that day, but mostly she talked about life since then and, and just, uh, just was very honest about how grief is, is an ugly thing and, and it, it makes us ugly sometimes in, in the process and, and everything she had been through as she tried to cope with that. One of the things that I thought was interesting as she, as she told her story was, was that, you know, in, in a place like Sandy Hook, it's not that big. Uh, people eventually know exactly who all the parents are of the children who died. And some people treat you normally in the midst of all that, which she really appreciates. Other people are always on pins and needles. Other people avoid you. And, and the thing that has, had come over time to kind of uh, grate on her the most would be people who would come up and express their sympathy, which is, which is good. And, and would go on to say, I think trying to, in a sense, identify with the person, they would say, you know, I know exactly where I was when it happened, and then they would tell her about it. And over time, this came to burden her because, because she knew people meant well, but, but um, whatever they had been doing that day was so trivial in comparison to the enormous blow that she and her family had absorbed. And, and she was just tired of, of having to listen to people uh, tell her about their day on that particular day. So that was one of the, the strands of, of the story she told. The other strand that she told was that the, the mor that morning, uh, she had had extra time for some reason. And so rather than putting her son on the bus, she had driven him to school and they had so much extra time that they stopped at, I, I think, a Starbucks. Um, we'll say it was the Starbucks on Street X. And they got, they got hot chocolate, and they got something to eat, and they were just sitting there, and apparently it was really good hot chocolate. And, and her, her son was just like effusive that day. He was just talking about things, and he was saying, you know, you, you are the best mom. I love you so much. This is so much fun just to sit here and talk to you. And, and so he just was so filled with energy and, and love. And, and she said for the first couple of years after, after the shooting, you know, she replayed that conversation every day. It, it was a lifeline for her uh, to think of how amazing and good that conversation had been. But she said as more time passed, she started to wonder if, if her mind and her heart were just playing tricks on her. And in, in, in her grief, had she invented this story? 
was it just something that she had made up to somehow sustain her memories of her son? And so she had come to doubt whether it had ever happened in the first place. That very first Christmas Eve, the world did not stand still. It kept going. The inns were busy, and the wait staff, probably serving food, uh, had never been busier. And the shepherds were not uh, out uh, laying down on, in their fields, kind of napping. I mean, night is when the predators do their work. And so undoubtedly, they were up walking in and around their sheep, uh, keeping watch over them, actively alert to any threats that lay beyond. And Mary and Joseph had, had undoubtedly walked all the way from Nazareth. You always see her riding on a donkey, but everything in Scripture suggests that they were poor, probably didn't have a donkey. And they had walked that whole way. And I'm pretty sure that triggered labor. And then she has to go through that without apparently any family in the immediate vicinity. Maybe some midwife came to help. And in the smallest of details, after, after the child is born, she wraps him in those, those bands of cloth. And, and so uh, the regular world was going on. Good things were going on. Bad things were going on. Caesar and his census to tax everyone. Crazy Herod, who, who when the Magi find him, will be prompted into a homicidal rage. The, the good, the bad, and just the regular of life continued that first Christmas evening. But in the midst of it, Luke is, is sure to point out that having borne her child, Mary made sure he was safe and secure and warm and lying in a feeding trough, otherwise known as a manger. And so that's one of our readings for this service. The other came from John chapter 6. We, we always figure on Christmas Eve you need to hear the Christmas story, but what's the point of the baby's birth if you don't also uh, have some connection to the adult Jesus? And so the connection this year is to John chapter 6, which is largely an account of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and the aftermath of that. And, and so the part we read is right after the feeding, and so everyone suddenly realizes what's happened, and they want to make Jesus king you know he'll feed us forever it sounded great Jesus however had not come just to feed people with physical food forever he came to try and teach them about the bread of life this living bread come down from heaven that's what he was there to teach about and so he exits the scene and, and then we watch as his disciples uh, paddle three or four hours uh, through a lake that is now enraged with waves because of a strong wind and then they see Jesus walking across the water towards them, and they're terrified. And he says, fear not. And, and suddenly they reach the shore. Now that's a very specific story in John's Gospel, and it's not the stories that you might associate it with. In other words, in this story, Peter doesn't try and walk on the water. That's not uh, John 6's story. And in this story, the disciples are not afraid because of the storm. They've been paddling in it for hours. They were fishermen. They were used to being out on the Sea of Galilee. That doesn't alarm them. What alarms them is when they see Jesus walking towards them, like, is it a ghost or something? And, and so they are afraid, and Jesus, as is his uh, custom, responds to their fear with his calmness and peace and in the momentness, and just says, don't be afraid, it's me. 
and they reach the shore. And it's a metaphor for a lot of things in life, not the least of which is sometimes uh, we see correctly with our eyes, but our hearts and our motivations and, and lots of other things going on within us cause us to, to not read the moment or someone else correctly. And so we make mistakes and we get afraid and Jesus draws us back to reality in a correct perspective and says, don't be afraid, it's I. Here's the better way to understand what's going on. That, that, that story of the, the disciples rowing across this lake for three or four hours uh, reminds me of the Christmas video that we send out each year uh, on the 24th and 25th. It'll be in the all congregation emailings we send on both of those days. We'll show it in our in-person services. So if you're at home and you're not at any of those services, be sure to go to the link that comes either on the 24th uh, and on the 25th uh, to the Christmas video greeting. Anyhow, Ed Dominski and Caitlin Dominski uh, edited all of that. Thank you very much to them. And thanks to all the people who submitted the pictures of the year at Unity Lutheran Church. Uh, but Ed included a six-second clip uh, of his experience as a leader on this past summer's Boundary Water uh, trip. And when you see it, you'll just have to laugh because it is six seconds of nonstop downpour as his group is paddling on one of the big lakes uh, up in the Boundary Waters. And it just made me laugh because it rained a lot on that trip. Interestingly enough, most days the sun also came out, like it'd be sunny, the storm would blow in, and then the sun would come back out. It was kind of amazing that way. It made me wish I had video footage of something I talked about in one sermon, uh, which was uh, my particular group had come through a rainstorm. We were resting on some rocks. Our canoes were emptied out. And then coming across the lake, we could see the wind and another storm coming in. Before we could get to our canoes, two of them blew into the air, probably five, eight feet, and out into the lake, uh, 40 or 50 feet. Uh, I wish I had footage of that particular thing. It was a big wind. John's gospel is, is astute. It understands that in both Hebrew and Greek, the same word can mean breath or spirit or wind. So when that big wind blows into the disciples' lives, they take it for ill, but it's Jesus' presence, and it's, it's for good. Um, that, that seems to be true of a lot of things as we work through life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that anything was real good about our canoes blowing away, but we were able to track them down eventually and paddle our way out of the boundary waters, so that was good. Uh, but the Spirit of God uh, blows into our lives. We can't control it. And I think a lot of times we're not even aware that it happens, and therefore sometimes we doubt uh, the presence or power of the Spirit. I think that's maybe because a lot of times we aren't really in the moment. We're in the past, we're in the future, we're in our own like little bubble, and we're not fully aware of everything that's going on around us, including God's presence and power. And, and we also are not always very reflective after the fact. We don't try and look back and put our lives and its events into a context, especially a spiritual one. And so maybe that can be part of what all of us work on in 2023. By being more in the moment, you're more aware of the moment and the Spirit's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And when we make time to reflect on things that have been hard or good or confusing or uncertain in our lives, uh, reflecting on them and discerning 
what actually happens is also one of the ways in which the Spirit leads us and guides us. The, the powerful thing about these great gospel stories is that they always lead us back to Christmas, and they lead us back to what the angel says uh, when they come upon when it comes upon the, the shepherds in the field, because there are these four phrases that kind of mean everything for us as we live the life of faith in regular time in a world that never stands still. And the four things the angel says at the beginning of the little conversation with the shepherds is, "Fear not, don't be afraid. This is a little different, but don't be afraid. For I bring you good news, our root word for gospel, of great joy, a word used only at Isthmus, Christmas and Easter, uh, when God breaks all the rules to truly be with us in our lives. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, for the lepers and the tax collectors and the lost, for the people who are empty, for the people uh, who are powerful like Herod but maybe don't want to listen to it, for other people like Augustus who probably just don't care, uh, for people who are tending to the inn or to their sh flock by night and maybe to the midwife who helped Mary as well. Good news comes to everybody. Good news comes for all the people, including those who have struggled maybe the most in our lives. So the Sandy Hook mom kept going with her story, and, and, and she told about how um, one morning she, she was out in a public place, and a uh, woman that she recognized a little but not very well came, came up to her and introduced herself and, and conveyed her sympathies on her, her loss. And the, you know, the mom appreciated all that. And, and then she continued with the dreaded phrase, I, I remember exactly where I was that day. And, and the mom who's telling the story remembers this, 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 this combination of, of just rage. She doesn't want to hear one more time about what somebody was doing that day, but also this like, kind of calmness or inevitability that, okay, I, I'm just going to stand here one more time and listen to somebody tell me about what they were doing that day. And so the woman continued and, and said to the mom, um, I was at the Starbucks on Street X, and you know I, I sat across from you and your son, um, and, and I, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I heard your conversation. And it was the most amazing conversation. And I so wanted to say to you as you left that day that you must be an awesome son. Uh, you must be an awesome mom to, to have a son that wonderful. And so you see how the, the two threads of the story came together in that moment. There was one more time where this woman was going to be drained in some way of having to hear one more irrelevant story of what had happened to the person that day. Good news, great joy for all people, but starting always with individuals, especially for the ones who have perhaps been emptied the most in our world because what the mom had to tell the other mom was, was that, that the story that she didn't even know if it was true anymore, had she just made it up in her mind, that it was absolutely true and it absolutely had happened and that this woman had witnessed it and she was awed by the holiness of that particular moment. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy and it's for all the people. One of the things about being a follower of Jesus is that, you know, Life doesn't stand still. 
we're kind of always on duty. Uh, and to me, that's a, that's a good thing. And, and I hope at the end of the service uh, that we record here, that you've got a candle with you, and that when we sing Silent Night, you can hold it up a little bit. And we'll say the benediction like we do in church. And when you're sitting there holding it, I hope you also recognize that it's not meant to, to like uh, eliminate the darkness in whatever space you're in, because darkness is there and it's real. But the light, the light cuts through it, and the light transforms it. And, and the light is our purpose for being, which is, to me, just each day to try and be in the moment, to, to be honest, to be humble, to be filled with gratitude, and to be courageous enough to reach out to each other in our losses. And we will not always have the right words, but, but if we have the right spirit within us, we will bless each other and lift each other up. Uh, we will be filled when we're emptied. We will be reconnected when we have uh, fallen apart. And so think of all of that when we raise those candles up. And for the rest of the year, when you don't have a candle in your hand, you still have the great greeting of that angel. Four things you should never forget. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. And he saved the four best lads, words for last, for all the people, starting with you, and it has no end. As a result, I can't say done at the end of the sermon, but I can say Merry Christmas.